it is like velvet, black velvet, black. Like the negative space is black, and but you can totally tell that what it's going on because it's velvet, and it looks like it's be like a wrought iron fence topper. The panels on the wall are dark, dark black, probably felt. Patio patterns, the large, what do we call this? What is this? A planter, a flower bed, brick flower bed in the middle of the garage is curious. Two large shrubs in it. The felt panels are like reminiscent of ironwork you might see in a gate. So, brick uh, structure like a planter with some bushes two bushes I think there's some sound coming out of it and around it on the walls we got these canvases with um, stretched with some kind of material like a suede maybe or kind of has this reflectiveness to it but it's black and stitched with some different geometric patterns one of them over here is like a triangle shape this black fabric that's kind of changing as you move around and it has this kind of ornate pattern on it, it looks like, a, like an architectural ornate ornament kind of thing with some birds and like a little floral pattern so something you see in like a window or on a house or something this looks like a velvet canvas that's like mainly a rectangle but also has like an arch an arc at the top and it looks like black velvet to me I think it is which is like the blackest of black it doesn't get any blacker than that hello my name is Omaya Jones and this is the good weather podcast Good Weather is a contemporary art gallery located in North Little Rock, Arkansas. And on this episode, I chat with Haynes and artist Amy Garafano. We talk about process, how she and Haynes met, and what it's like to hire someone off of Craigslist from halfway across the country. So check it out, and you'll hear from me on the other side. So, how do you guys know each other? Amy and I. Yeah. It's, uh, we met in the fire pit at the metals department at Cranbrook. Ooh. No, that's not right. That's my memory. Oh, we have different memories? Yeah. I remember you meeting you at the gallery on campus and you were holding a giant pencil. <laughs> that yeah. you made out of cardboard yeah. or something. Uh, Tony Garberini made for me. It was this group show that opened that year. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that. How I long ago was this? This was seven years ago. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Close to 2000. Yeah, Haynes, Haynes was kind of the... <laughs> he 
he's shaking his head. I don't know. (laughs) You're scared of what I'm going to say. I mean, now that I see Haynes in his context at Uh home and like with his family, it's kind of all clicking and making sense. I mean, he was like bopping around campus like like he was kind of the mayor like greeting people <laughs> <laughs> like and i remember showing up my first year and being kind of disoriented and oh my god what am i doing here and he's like hi i'm haynes riley and he was the first person to like look me in the eye and say hello and i thought this guy's really nice oh so we went to graduate school together right. okay. <laughs> okay. but amy's work like i saw the year after like her thesis work uh, i really didn't know your work first year that well because the studios are pretty private spaces um, and then uh, otherwise the other space you would see someone's work is in a critique which is in different departments on campus so that's twice a semester so in my second year I was just focused on what I was doing and probably as much as I could other people's work but I didn't really see the embodiment of your work until your thesis showed so I was in the painting department. Mm-hmm. Haynes was in two D. Yeah. So we yeah we didn't cross paths a lot. Yeah. And then but where I showed for my thesis was in the same room that you had or shown nearby yeah nearby yeah. the year before. Yeah. So we were kind we're, of both engaging in the same weird space. Yeah. And dealt with it in different ways. Yeah. And her work at that time, I think, dealt with space and cared about space in the way that I cared about it like. I think mine's not nearly as mature of work as Amy's, obviously, but but uh, but yours is work. I mean, her work like it was incredible, and it dealt with upholstery. It dealt with, uh, I guess, yeah, oddity, odd, like architectural oddities, uh, an overlapping like, of different. It felt like maybe different sort of systems. That's what at Cranbrook Alel Saarinen is a, a Finnish architect that was recruited to design the campus of the boys high school and then the art academy and then from there it became like a science institute and george booth was the uh, sort of money and family behind this he was a uh, newspaper newspaper mogul yeah so with that like alel brought this sort of modern finnish style it had like a little bit of expressiveness a little all these sort of strange points where it didn't quite fit uh, what became modernism, but it was sort of leading towards that. And his son, Eero Saarinen, was at school there. Charles Eames was at school there, met, and they sort of, with Florence Nolan, Harry Vittoria, like launched this mid-century modern, what became known as mid-century modern kind of architecture and furniture design. Uh, And I think that influenced your work a lot, at least Mm -hmm. a, a perceptiveness of that architecture of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely did. Well, that series that I did at the end for thesis was looking specifically at the places where utilities entered into that modern kind of idealist modern architecture and interrupted the space. Yeah. So I was highlighting that with the upholstery, yeah. kind of drawing attention to it. And I think, yeah, thinking about the Eameses and Charles and Ray and Ray doing the upholstery and Charles looking at the plans mm-hmm. abstractly it kind of being like some kind of a synthesis of that. Yeah. So that's where I, my awareness of her work. Okay. And, and I, uh, yeah, that's 2011 or 12 or something. 
Yeah. And then she, since she, so I graduated, obviously moved home, started your mother. She moved to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And so you were working with upholstery at the time. Were you working with upholstery before that, or has that always been a part of your work? No, I wasn't. It, it was kind of in that series that I started working with upholstery. And what, what Angel was saying about the way you approached the use of space, was mm-hmm. that like a conscious thing? Yeah, that was that was where I arrived at in my evolution during school, was to start to think more about architecture and more about space. But I hadn't done that before. I was always a painter doing mm-hmm. painting paintings <laughs> on yeah. the wall in a painterly way. Right. So. so And so how did you make that transition from the paint to the... Well, I think it was an environment of Cranbrook, partly, because there are the design programs and the architecture program, and the environment is so specific and interesting. Kind of made me think about things on that scale. And, yeah, I don't know. It started, my ideas just took me there. I started to look at, it was such a weird kind of meandering, conceptual path but I started appropriating from images of British summer homes just like recreating elements from those homes and so that was my first time kind of stepping outside of an object or well not really because I I don't know it was kind of as soon as I arrived at Cranbrook actually when I think back it's there were ways that I was thinking more about the room than the object. And then with your art, so you talked about incorporating these architectural elements, mm-hmm. and that's part of your art of this show here, too. So this show, this is not the first time this work is shown, right? Like, yeah, you, this is... It is, it is, is it? the first time. Yeah, it is. Oh, is it really? Because I was looking at one of, on your website, one of um, your shows, and they're similar, mm-hmm. but I guess they're different. The specific works are different. Yeah, maybe you're thinking of the round one that was in... That went to Miami or something. Okay. Yeah. It's similar, similar series, like similar approach to making that we showed for it. Actually, before we talk about this show, I want to talk about Miami because you said that Miami was your rebirth. <laughs> Did I? Yes. So I want to. I yeah, want to. Your, your enunciation or, or maybe not the rebirth. It was a. I did. I baptism. said. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. And I don't yeah. even know what I meant anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what it was was like a stage. I mean, it's not really. We we showed Amy's work at Art Bandini, mm-hmm. which was this one-time art fair in Los Angeles. And maybe was that your first time shown in LA, or did you show? Once? I had shown in some other small, small spaces. at Loud Haler Gallery, like in a group show. Maybe yeah, yeah, and BB. No, that came after. Yeah, yeah maybe just that. But this series of work, I guess, was that possibly was like the first time we'd shown it at, in LA, in, in a way like that the series of work this last year and a half has sort of found its way. We, we showed it again, like at the beginning of the year in January and then again in December, not in Miami, where we had a solo booth that we presented. And so that was, in a way, like you're at an art fair, so there's a context there, which is transactional one based in commerce but we we present the work in a way that the booth felt like a kind of mini exhibition so she built a body of work throughout the year that she showed 
at like basically after January, she showed like five different spaces that are all really great spaces: Vacancy, Barbecue LA, Rainbow in Spanish, uh, Egyptian, Egyptian Art and Antiques. Mm-hmm. One other place, I think, but um, yeah, I'm spacing. Yeah, but like developed bodies of work had sort of off pieces from it, thinking about sound in her work as we got to Miami and then we, was it the first time you included sound in it? Uh-huh. So then we had this exhibition that sound was sort of included in it. Coming out of the work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, so the the work, the, the timeline with things has been kind of like, I've been on this trajectory to develop this body of work and Hayes has given me this platform into two specific spaces now where I could think about how that work fits into these spaces and kind of it's shifted the work a little bit and given me something to react to and think about. So the the body of work itself deals with architecture but in a different way than the work that was my first encounter where which is she's referencing the landscapes of Los Angeles, the neighborhoods of Los Angeles, the places of Los Angeles, through wrought iron gates and fences mm-hmm. and windows, and using as close as possible a one-to-one sort of um, scale, scale of, of the patterns of those gates. And so, in this case, at this show, you encounter the windows and the short gates of it. At the show in Miami, we encounter these eight-foot gates, a larger sort of body size spaces and they work I mean the way that they work with materials of upholstery is different than they did before and that they kind of there's a real simple and smart way the use of the material within the positive and negative spaces of the pattern that she's using from these gates uh, that create this phenomenological effect uh, of, of shift that occurs that you get the details within the design and then you sort of you lose them when you're in front of it. And I don't, you can explain more about. Yeah, that was a good description. But yeah, I mean, velvet, I just saw an opportunity with velvet as a specific material that has this directionality that no other material has. And so, and it actually came up, I came out of thinking about the way sound does that too in a room, the way that you experience the shift of sound. No, I'm doing it with my hand. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right, the bouncing, like things make sound. Yeah, or just the way like you turn your body and you get sound waves, your experience of sound waves shifts as you move. And so to think, and so I was thinking about velvet in tandem with sound. Right. And so that's, yeah, so so really just trying to exploit that one quality in velvet and using these designs from around LA from the gates and the landscape of of all the iron work that's everywhere there as my as my kind of structure for See, that's why I feel like my trade secrets don't matter because even right. you two don't know how they're made right so uh, my question was how do you turn such a gorgeous corner on these and, and Which also, corners are you looking well, at? Well, let's even just talk about this. You've got the curve here, right? Yeah. And it's like a concentric circle, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to go from that edge and then go straight back. So you've mm-hmm. got all this fullness of fabric that you have to make look really flat and gorgeous. How are you making that fiber? Because hmm. it, it, in my experience, it would all sort of like bunch up. 
Yeah, it does sometimes. I mean, I I kind of stretch it. The other thing is there are two layers of plywood, so I can't, so I'm, I'm upholstering the first layer, but I can't wrap it around to the backage until the very end because I attach the back layer of plywood and then I wrap around. Okay. So it's hard to describe, but the, on the first layer, I'm kind of doing like a fake wrap where I just put things in place around the back. So I do that with upholstery. I'll do like a pre-placement yeah, with just tacked staples every so uh -huh. often, but it always gets pulled out and exactly. fine-tuned. Yeah, exactly. And then when it, so once I get it pre-placed, that's when I do the inside edge of these cutouts, uh -huh. like all of these edges. Right. So then you have that same issue, like when you cut that, mm -hmm. you know, let's call it at a forty-five degree angle to mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Then you have to spread it open and fit it into that corner, and so you have like a, a, a loss of fabric there. Yeah. You can't. So, how are you dealing with that? So I'm just pulling it really tight. Like I snip it up until the last possible place, uh -huh. pulling from the backside and stapling. Uh -huh. But it has to tuck so that you can't see that cut, right? Right. Yeah. And then are you um, treating the back with some kind of stabilizer or glue no, or anything? No, should I be? Well, I'm, may, I sometimes have Maybe to, uh, especially fabrics that have a tendency to ravel because they're like mm. more loosely woven. Yeah, yeah. I've put super glue, <laughs> cool. but I've also put fabric glue on the back and Just then like rub it. it into the back. And then when I snip it, it doesn't then like sort of fall apart. Yeah, that's probably because something I should be doing. Well, it doesn't seem like you should be doing anything in there so well, beautiful. Well, I wonder, though, because, like, I mean, I staple it end to end. Like, the staples are like this. Uh -huh. So it's fully stapled, studded all the way around every edge. But the frame is... But how do you get a staple down in there? Oh, I use a little glue there. Uh -huh. I do. Yeah, I use a fabric glue so when it's really tight. For the benefit of people listening, she's kind of, an easy way to describe it is kind of like a sunburst yeah. kind of look. Yeah. So you've got these rays that come to a really sharp point. Um, but yeah, it's not so a sunburst. <laughs> but it's an easy way to describe it. Yeah, I've heard it called that before, yeah. But tell me, what was the, the reference? These from are this, like this architectural is a, details? Yeah, so these are all architectural details. This is from the top of a, an iron ironwork gate and just the top part. So underneath this would be the full door gate. Right. Yeah. So this is just the element of a gate. That one's the same. It's kind of the top part of it. That's a full gate. That's kind of a full-size small, like a low, low fence around a property and the uh -huh. small gate you walk through. Right. And this one's a window and that one's a window. So they're all coming from kind of different places of the, um, of the architecture. Well, I kind of want to apologize for geeking out on the craft because it does a disservice to it being art. No, Getting no, so I don't obsessed think so. about I how think perfectly it's, really, it's created. I think it's all enmeshed. But it's. Um, and I'm happy to geek with them. That's probably the key. Okay. And then what about so in the middle of the gallery here? You have this brickwork, um, and, and are these bushes? So can you talk about the? Where that idea came from, and then tell us about sort of the process of like getting the the uh, bricklayers to come and actually build that. Uh -huh. Yeah. So um, because I'm a painter, I'm, 
was struggling to think about how to engage the whole space and really take advantage of the shape of the gallery and it kind of I don't know I'm not sure how that idea popped into my head or what that moment was but I just was feeling like it could be an opportunity to kind of flip the the gallery inside out and think about this inside space kind of to bring the outside in um, with the bushes and and as an opportunity for me to see the way that that changes the work too and the way you engage with those forms because I think the forms themselves like are ambiguous whether you're inside looking at or outside looking in and the bush kind of places you outside more specifically so I kind of wanted to see what that would do and also as an opportunity to to think about the sound in a different way because before the sound was coming out of the work and then now it's in the bush coming out and so I kind of like that as a you know how you walk through a neighborhood and you hear little sounds in the bushes or like a rustling there's always kind of like a gardenness like is a mouse gonna jump out or what's you know what's are there needles in the bushes like what what's happening around me as I move through this neighborhood and so I liked hiding something in the bush and I liked that people might miss it but they might hear it mm -hmm. and kind of that noticing or not noticing in the same way that you might notice that shift of light on the velvet or you might yeah you might miss it. There's something about the bush though for me more than it does bring the outside inside in, in the garage or in the gallery, um, it, it builds a context for the patterns and where they where they're from, like the kind of um, specific references there. They're not isolated anymore, and this, at least in my opinion, they're not just decorative. Uh, they're they're actually now you get a hint at where Amy's drawing uh, the them from like where 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 they're coming from so in, in some sense like these gates are in front of houses next to gardens next right. to these bushes like the, they're there and like you, this encounter or this relationship between the bush and the brick and the and the, the, the iron gate for me exists already so it feels sort of natural like what, what happens with any great show or installation is like everything feels natural it feels in place um, it feels like it, it doesn't feel out of place. So in the case, like as you walk around the show and the bush is in front of like the triangle, like the top of the gate, uh, or it's in front of like the low gate that's in the space, you start to kind of put yourself in those, or the, maybe there's a way for you to transport to that actual space and have these thoughts that the artist is having about like the, access that, that kind of in, inevitable within the like the idea of the gate like are you inside or outside of it or is it a private or public space is it accessible or not and then the sound does that same thing the sound is this mix of like two years of recording and all that sort of ambient in a way but it also kind of puts you here or there and in a way for art to do that to not just be Kind of visual tricks or attractiveness or aesthetic, it also sort of 
is this a moment where you're elsewhere, where you're elsewhere, where it brings you elsewhere? I don't know. Is that that type of encounter is, I think, important because the extends one you extend like the sort of aesthetic experience of the work with the sort of sculptural intervention or whatever you would call it. The sound does it even further, and it starts to create an environment for you to experience the work. That's not where one normally experiences like here is that so human, which is hung next to another piece and it's a collection mm -hmm. of work. And that's a totally different type mm -hmm. of experiencing art. With this is an exhibition space. So the exhibition is a, a concerted effort by the artist to present their work in, in a way that extends it on all levels. And shape the conditions of the experience of yeah. the work, yeah. You talk about, so I overheard you last night talking to someone about the process of getting the bricklayers here. Oh, yeah. And like communicating with them over Craigslist <laughs> and how like, you guys are just kind of filling each other out to see yeah. how serious you are. Yeah, because <laughs> Craigslist is sketchy and no one yeah. really knows what's real and what's not. But yeah, I was like, I was just in LA looking at Little Rock, Arkansas, Craigslist, and found this one bricklayer, Kendrick, who had a really simple post, you know, I'm a bricklayer, call me for a quote. So I yeah, we texted we texted for a little bit back and forth and we're trying to kind of just yeah. suss each other out and figure out, is this guy for real? And she he's thinking, is, is this job for real? Is who is this person? Why does she have a weird area code? What's what's the and like when you tell someone like a bricklayer that this is for an art exhibition, it's kind of suspect from the start. So but yeah, it just took a couple more texts and I had to say like I can pay you now if you want, hoping okay. that that would like help seal the deal and I think that gained some trust. And yeah, he was right. I mean, he was awesome. He's totally solid. Yeah. Showed up. Well, with the case, with the case of working with people that have these skill sets, like welding or neon, build, like you know, like folding glass or whatever you call it, bending glass no. or brick laying or whatever. We're not, you know, when I had the gallery built, you're working with like people who mud and tape and drywall things and talking with them in ways like this isn't your normal job. Like we're not, it's not a house where you come in and sort of whip, whip it out in a way that's sort of more traditional. So here, you know, like Kendrick gets here and brings the wrong brick because he's like, these bricks will be better for something planted in them. And Amy's like, but it's the red brick was... She designated that as something she wanted to use, and it was an important signifier. So you're thinking about things in a much more specific way. And so Kendrick came back the next day with the red bricks, and he actually then texted Amy, like, you know, 15 brick colors to choose from oh, to yeah. get, like, the right choice. Yeah. And we, so we chose it. He came back, and Amy, like, for the most part, was an audience for it because she was intrigued by the process and, like, watching them do it. And... You know, it was funny asking Kendrick, like, have you ever worked for an artist or done this for an artist? And he hadn't, you know. He, he, like, it's, 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 for me, it's like this great social engagement, like, mm -hmm. with, and I think artists deal with this all the time, like, with people that have skills that maybe we're not, you know, unless you're a specific art fabricator, you're working with someone that does it for the most part on a construction job or on, like, a, a, you know, pipe welding job or whatever. So it was great. It was, it's a great encounter 
I think artists always sort of cross over into these spaces in ways that is intriguing for the, the other world. Mm-hmm. Of, la- of laboring, I don't know. Even the guy at the Bush place was like, all right, well, so if you're going to, uh, they're going to live after five weeks. Uh, here's here's how you plant them into the ground afterwards. <laughs> you know, like he was still like Kev, Kev, his name. He you know he was just like, all right. You he didn't question it, but he was certainly like, you guys are, are doing you, some weird things over there. Are you going to plant them into the ground? Are you are you going to try to sell them? <laughs> they're, they're for sale. Yeah, well, as a sculpture. <laughs> yeah, I I. It was hard. A lot of things that come out of here we bring back to the artist, but sometimes you sacrifice something like Matthew Kirkhoff had a car and we, you know, obviously would have liked to sell it to someone as a piece of art, but we just donated it somewhere. We'll find a home for the bushes, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I mean, if we don't find a home for the whole piece, we'll find a home for the bushes. Um, But I'd like to place the piece. I was talking to David about Big Rock Sculpture Park. Yeah. And it makes me think of, is it Michael Asher? He's a conceptual artist, has this uh, water cotton that was destroyed, but it was this water cotton at University of California, San Diego, UCSD, I think. It was one of the schools in San Diego, and it was in the middle of campus. It was just a water cotton that you find anywhere, but for him it was a place in a specific space. So this, out of the context of the gallery and, and around in his paintings, maybe is a whole different piece, but it'd be interesting to encounter it next to larger scale sculpture in the sculpture park and have this sort of unassuming brick piece. Um, so for Dean Stahl, I was talking to David about how to sort of take the whole thing out. Yeah. Place he seemed pretty gung-ho about it too. Like... He was ready. Yeah. I was excited to meet him last night because I was telling Amy, having someone in town doing something grassroots on a string budget, mm-hmm. um, able to do have a sculpture park based on his network of friends that he met at Franconia, is just the same thing as how good when got started. You know. So what do you have coming up next? You said you're going to Chicago? Yeah, I'm going to be in a group show with three other artists, and it's curated by uh, Syndicate Gallery, Liam. It's in, the gallery's in Cologne, Germany, and he, yeah, he has this vision that I'm not he's still kind of fleshing that out but it'll be fun and that's Chicago in October and I I think he's thinking of it as collaborative so he's introduced me to the other artists work and then I think we're going to have a conversation about what the show ends up being do you want to plug anything like your website or anything yeah I mean and and Guillaume Boucher (laughs) what (laughs) G G Yesterday or a few days ago, I sent out the email and Amy's website links were broken. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no. It's because I was trying to do look at some stuff. Yeah, G I, hooked that. me up. Yeah, and my developer, G, who's at, currently getting his MFA at Yale, and, and I haven't talked to him in a couple months because he's just busy. I was like, G, we need your help. It was something so stupid that only a developer could yeah. go in and fix it. It was like a true or false question within the code that he just changed it to true. Wow. And, and, but so she, shout out to G. Yeah, shout out to G <laughs> for that. Because I was like, my website's broken. Crap. Like, people are like, you know, we just sent yeah. email out. People are, my dad emailed, someone else emailed. Like, hey, your website links are broken. We're trying to look at Amy's work. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's bad, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you can hear the sound piece on my SoundCloud. 
if you if people are not visiting the gallery. So my SoundCloud is Amy Garifano, okay. my name. And if you go there, you can listen to Hedge Booth. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You can check out the work at goodweathergallery.com. Be sure to like Good Weather on Facebook and follow them on Twitter. It's at goodweather, G-O-O-D-W-E-A-T-H-R. Thanks to artist Amy Garofano. You can check out her work at amygarofano.com. The next show is by Rebecca Finn Simonetti. It's Path Warm. It opens June 3rd at Good Weather. Be sure to like, rate us on iTunes, subscribe, tell your friends. Until next time, this is Omaya Jones. Thanks for listening. A few thoughts about citrus on Pico. There's something about the opacity of the portal forms that subverts the source and plays with the idea of transparency and movement from exterior to interior, or vice versa. The stylization of the portals injects an element of artifice into the quotation of architectural forms. Artifice can be used to foreground thoughts about our relationship to the real. That same artifice plays out in the center of the room in the brick plant box housing the shrubbery and its audio of naturally observed ambient sounds. Transplanted to an interior space, the piece calls to mind 18th century reconstructions of ruins and historical presentations of nature in Gothic gardens, but updated to reflect a kind of idealized suburban containment of nature. How did she get the point so sharp? Velvet is a seducer and makes me want to stroke the surface of the panel.